If you ask me, Muhammad Ali in his prime was much better than anti-lock brakes. Yeah, but what about Johnny Mathis versus Diet Pepsi? Oh, I cannot listen to this again. It's Britney, bitch. And uh, the Iraq everywhere, like, such a... I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Out, Charlie! Our next-door neighbors are foreign countries. I call upon all nations to do everything they can to stop these terrorist killers. Thank, Thank you. you. Now watch this drive. Okay. Are we ready to get fucking started, boys? Yep. In the mind dojo? Yeah, absolutely. Well, welcome back to Remember Shuffle in one of our coolest, most charged up, action-packed episodes of all time. With me are my co-host, Ben. Woo! And our all-time leading guest, JD. <laughs> Thank you, JD. <laughs> Hopefully he's a little bit more articulate on the rest of the podcast. <laughs> Today we're discussing Spike TV and its foremost programming, The Deadliest Warrior. Spike TV was a cable television network from the 2000s that focused on male programming. And we're going to get into why it was important for the decade, how it completely changed our culture in so many ways, and get into one of its, let's say, most exciting pieces of... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We're going to get into a, a program that asks some very important questions. This is a philosophical experiment. This is an exercise in the discursive arts. <laughs> the Deadliest Warrior that took a large budget and threw that budget at the schoolyard question, who'd win in a fight? Who would win in a fight? Samurais, Aztecs, pirates, ninjas, and finally zombies and vampires. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those existential questions that we've been asking ourselves for thousands of years. Is there life after death? Why do good things happen to bad people? Would a Spartan beat a ninja in a fight? <laughs> I believe the Spartans and ninjas were asking that themselves. <laughs> and so let me just give you a little brief rundown of Spike TV. So as we discussed on the Entourage episode, the Bush era had this insane reactionary fervor to 9-11 that was full of this obnoxious machismo that feels very out of place in today's society. And Spike TV is like the perfect encapsulation of that culture. Remember the, the bros who were on the RV and Borat. Mm -hmm. This is who that network was directed at. The mm -hmm. visor-toting, polo-sporting college frat bros of the decade. That's the high watermark of that type of guy because mm -hmm. now you'd have to be like a little bit more shameful about your place in society. And this is what this network is all about. It's about unapologetically being an obnoxious douchebag. Yep. It is not the positive masculinity of the dude's rock mentality. <laughs> <laughs> this is before the dude's rock had graced the consciousness of the internet dudes. You think about this bro culture and it lives on in so many forms and one of those things is the Joe Rogan show. Without Spike TV, I don't know that we have the Joe Rogan show, the $100 million man. Anyway, it gives us the UFC. You ever heard of that? The ultimate fighting something? <laughs> <laughs> and it gives us some of the biggest television hits of the current day, including Yellowstone and Tulsa King. And we'll get into how this network birthed so many cultural giants in this decade. Yeah, I'm excited. I don't know what the connection between Yellowstone and Spike is because I didn't read through our notes closely <laughs> enough. Yeah. Finally, remember Shuffle. We read your comments. We heard your concerns. We're doing an episode just for the fellas. It's for you, boys. We tried to branch out into other topics. Twilight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jackass. What do girls like? Yeah. The Boondock 
Saints. Yeah. Emo music. Nothing does as well as a dude's rock episode. And that's what we got for you today. And if you manage to make it to the end of this, thank you. You are <laughs> a true shufflehead. We were so ambivalent about doing this at first. Our ambivalence was dispelled when we sat down and watched Deadliest Warrior. And it was like the veil was peeled from our eyes and we saw the divine. And we were like, you know what? There needs to be a podcast about this. So. Yeah. It's just the perfect combination of imagination and science, engineering, <laughs> medicine. Very scientific. All right. So let's get into it. First, we're going to go over Spike TV, talk about its insane cultural impact, and then we'll get into Deadliest Warrior. So Spike TV, it launches in 2003. It's a repackage of TNN, the Nashville network, and they wanted to create something that was missing in the market. Television for men. <laughs> Please, Jordana, because you're so good at impressions. Please do the Don Draper pitch of, <laughs> of Spike TV. A man tries to look for something to watch on television. He can't find it. It's all cooking shows and television shows on how to raise your kids. <laughs> you can't see tits, beer, car chases, things burning up. It's all meant for women and children. We're staying on the boat and we're watching TV. <laughs> Yes, I'm sold. Yeah, seriously, where can you find television for men? It's impossible. Yeah. Everything on TV is complaining about your mother. <laughs> I guess everything on TV is complaining about how your sister didn't bring the right type of cake to the Christmas party. All of the TV is about women supporting each other. All those Real Housewives shows, that's just about <laughs> women being kind to each other. There's nothing there for, from what I understand. We needed something that spoke to the Y chromosome. So in 2003, we get a launch party at the fucking Playboy Mansion. Yes. Yeah. What a different time. Playboy is just articles now and Hugh Hefner is dead. So what is happening at the Playboy Mansion now? <laughs> What's going on there? Is it a museum? Is it a pornography museum? It's well, one of the coffee houses of Paris now. It's where they discuss <laughs> philosophy and yeah. how society should operate. Yeah. Well, yeah. All of the greatest artists are being invited to display their work in the grotto of the Playboy <laughs> Mansion. <laughs> So they launched Spike TV and so we're going to do a little reading series. Excellent. Because when Spike TV was launched, they hired a bunch of guys only from what I can tell. <laughs> and they gave out a manifesto to their employees and to their financial backers, Viacom, owned by one old pervert. Sumner Redstone. He was the guy who was allegedly begging his nurses to jack him off. That's the Yellowstone connection. All right. So I'm going to read you page one of the Spike TV manifesto. Spike TV celebrates the eternal bachelor. The eternal bachelor represents freedom the freedom to say feel act and do whatever we damn well please without fear of criticism or repercussion jesus christ <laughs> it's a state of mind that all men share <laughs> the glorification of that incredible time in our lives when we live life on our own terms wow the eternal bachelor represents the freedom to die alone <laughs> well you want to die surrounded by your family like a bitch <laughs> <laughs> I want to be a confirmed eternal bachelor. <laughs> yeah, the idea is so comical. It's like, listen, we men, we've had it up to here. We're sick and tired. All we want is no consequences for our actions. <laughs> I'm starting to think that's a little bit too much to ask of these people. <laughs> 
What an entitled ass paragraph. Good God. All right. So first rule of Spike TV. Spike is for men. <laughs> it's five rules. The first is Spike is for men. We're a network for men. We talk to men. We program to men. We develop shows for men. We're a brand for men. Nice. They don't have a rule two. It just goes right <laughs> to rule three. <laughs> so for the second rule is there's no counting. <laughs> no counting in Spike TV. <laughs> okay. Rule number three. Spike is unapologetically male. Ooh. Enough is enough. You've been PC'd to death. <laughs> not at Spike. We never retreat from anything we say or do. We're not afraid to say it. Show it or make fun of it. And if guys love it and they want to see it, we'll never apologize for airing it. <laughs> The image is important. Yeah, there's a, a gentleman drinking a beer and staring at a woman who's facing away from him uh, in her bikini. No, that's not a beer. That's a cell phone. He's taking a photo oh. of a woman without her consent. <laughs> yes, that is unapologetically male. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, man is in the pool. He's swum up to the ledge. He's holding a phone and he's taking yeah, a like picture. like a Sony Ericsson. Yeah. <laughs> that's in the background. A Motorola Razor. Wow. And in the foreground is... A woman facing away. That's her navel. Yeah, so that she cannot see the man, but we see everything from the uh, middle torso down to the upper thigh. Her butt is facing him. That's <laughs> yeah, what he's yeah. trying to say. <laughs> yeah. he, the woman is Ben's in the foreground. like an operator. <laughs> also, hold on. I, I, I actually do want to like rip on this text a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we not? We're not afraid to say it, show it, or make fun of it. Anything men like to see made fun of, Spike TV will air. <laughs> Which brings us to our newest <laughs> Spike TV program. Spike TV, laughing when the elderly fall down. <laughs> Raw footage of Nana's walker <laughs> collapsing. Listen, I've been PC'd to death, pal. Yeah. <laughs> I have been politically corrected to death. One guy in Hollywood was told he can't use the R and F slurs, and he got home, and that was his they call me Mr. Glass moment. <laughs> Big shout out, M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> Unbreakable. <laughs> A topical 2000s reference. Good God. Imagine thinking you'd been PC'd to death in the year 2000 <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah enough is enough it's 2003 <laughs> can someone check on these guys <laughs> see how they're doing oh i guarantee you they are all internet nazis now. <laughs> all right rule number four spike always has your back what makes a good buddy someone who always sticks up for you someone who tells it like it is and won't bullshit you someone who will lie for you <laughs> jesus christ but never lie to you. Someone who will bust your balls, but do it in a friendly, honest, and funny way. Spike, like most of your friends, fiercely competitive, but fiercely loyal. Oh my god. This actually just makes me sad. Imagine being so lonely that a TV network was your friend. <laughs> your friend that you could confide in. But it's like 2001. It hasn't even happened yet. People hang out. Yeah. At pe this time. People are still hanging out in the meat space, but they're still deeply lonely enough to need Spike TV as a buddy. Your friend who will lie for you, I think, is the most telling line of that, for sure. <laughs> I have a pretty good idea about what they're lying yeah. about. <laughs> Alright, rule number five. Spike is proud to be men. Uh, Th they're proud, folks. That's egregious grammar. <laughs> we love that we can scream at the TV, wear mismatching clothes, and throw the baby up in the air without dropping him. <laughs> We're proud of the fact that we find shortcuts, fix things, be a gentleman, and then the next minute, burn rubber. That's referring to condoms, not cars. <laughs> They're burning their condoms. They're a stockpile of condoms. <laughs> we love to play, and we love to work. We're the alpha dogs, the big swinging, tool-belted, love-handled love machines. <laughs> 
<laughs> and that's why we love Spike Entertainment made by guys who understand guys. Yeah, I'm willing to bet everyone who is involved mm-hmm. at every stage of the Spike process has never been around a swinging tool belt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely true. I mean, if you look at the guy in the next picture, he doesn't look like a, a very tool belt sober guy. That's an alpha. The guy who is claiming to be an alpha dog. We oh. are the alpha dog. Yeah, is that a royal we? Yeah, Spike is proud to be men. Yeah, this very proto MRA. Oh yeah, it is. This guy is. This image is is pretty good too. It's a balding this... man who looks at least our age. Our age, which is of course twenty three. Yeah, no, he's yeah, he's at least nineteen. <laughs> I, I won't bother trying to describe his outfit, but he's standing in front of a lifted Ram twenty five hundred. It's like a thirty seven year old man doing a I'm putting my thumbs into my pockets pose with his legs spread super wide, standing next to his truck, baggy shirt, baggy pants. He looks petite next to the truck he's standing next to. It's not the epic dab this guy thinks it is. <laughs> no, no, not at all. White sunglasses in the mid-2000s were the sure sign of a douche. Yeah, those also mm-hmm. look like the shoes that my female colleagues wear. <laughs> they look like nurses running shoes. They actually, yeah, literally, yeah. That's, that's... Cool, hold on, can we just digest all of this for a second? The masculinity discourse has gone in some weird places. We shouldn't promote other pods, but QAA, if you know them, has a great, on their Patreon, five-part series on the Quality on- assurance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say it because the internet will take it down, but the QAA pod has a great five-part series on online Manosphere influencers about how they go from these crushing pussy-getting Andrew Tate-style, I live with a literal harem, and they make this metamorphosis into, actually, I'm a trad cast mm-hmm. now, right? Actually, getting pussy is gay, <laughs> and you know we need to go back, embrace tradition with its gender roles. And that's something I'd recommend in terms of just seeing the weird place that masculinity discourse has gone, but even in the advertising TV sector, I don't know if you guys remember the really annoying media cycle with the Gillette razors, the Gillette ad about toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It produced some memes of the guy holding his cat calling Buddy uh-huh, back uh-huh, that he would put text uh-huh. on. Did you know that that pissed off the online right so much? They founded the Men's Razor Company. There's an anti-Gillette, non-woke razor company. I know this because I follow Ben Shapiro on Twitter. I hate read him a lot because he's the stupid person's idea of a smart person. And anytime one of these major conglomerates tries to cash in on the anti-toxic masculinity discourse, there is someone to be like, actually, toxic masculinity is dope because it gives us firemen and welders and tool belt swinging soldier men, but is used to hawk the exact same product. It's a fucking razor. <laughs> and so it's, it's weird that this rhetoric is still around, but now it's just been taken up by the political right to hawk their other version of a mainstream thing. Andrew Tate got arrested today, by the way. Oh, did he really? Shout out, Andrew. Andrew Tate. <laughs> the episode is in honor of Andrew Tate. <laughs> Honestly? Yeah, we're going to be talking about fighting and men's rights. Didn't he do like a million rapes? Isn't that what he's going to jail Yeah, for? he's going to jail for human trafficking. That's one of the big ones. <laughs> yeah. One of, the, one of the ones you should avoid. But it is funny that in this manifesto that we read, the only thing approaching a political statement is we want to say some fucking slurs. Yeah. <laughs> Let yeah. us say slurs. I've been PC'd to death. Whereas now the political message is a lot more front and center, which is Gillette wants to turn you trans and you need to buy our cheap razors instead. Implicitly. They which, don't say which, Why would they want that? You would have less body hair. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Spike TV and its programming. They launch programming full of adult animation, sports, and sex. Woo! 
I love sex. Oh, yeah, baby. And folks, if you love sex, <laughs> you love our sponsor, FelixForYou.ca. Folks, if you love sex, you might also love Ren and Stimpy's Adult Cartoon Party. <laughs> it has featured on Spike TV's animation lineup, as well as Stripperella. You guys remember Stripperella? Oh Stripperella is a Dan Lee superhero whose superpower is she's a stripper of some renown. I think Pam Anderson played her. Yes, she her, did. She did oh, the voice. Nice. And she's a woman with bolt-ons who fought people. That's all I remember because when it was on, I felt unpermitted to watch it, so I would, I would, <laughs> I would not watch what it. What a sweet boy! It would yeah. come on after something else, and I'd be like, "Hmm, this isn't something I should be watching." Yeah, Jordan was watching a show about guns, and then Stripperella would come on. He's like, "Ah, ha, ha. <laughs> yeah." I always thought it was weird that when Americans make horny cartoons, they're comedies, but when the Japanese make horny cartoons, they're dramas. Anyway, what would a men's network be without sports? Woo! What do men love? I've said woo too many times. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, fucking woo it up, baby. <laughs> this network is like the real world version of ESPN 8, the Ocho. It's got slam ball. It's got most extreme elimination. It's got arena football. It's got tons of wrestling, WWE. And it's got a little show by the name of The Ultimate Fighter, which we'll talk about later, which had a huge impact on the culture. Now, this is something I would love to bring back. Leave Stripperella in the dustbin of history. <laughs> but I'm constantly sending Jordano reels on Instagram of absurd sportless leagues that exist so i've seen combat juggling mm -hmm. where you need to constantly be juggling but also smash your opponent's juggle sticks out of the air i saw one that was i don't think it was a formal league but it was a couple guys playing keep the balloon up in the air but they were fucking diving oh, in slow motion to keep this thing going on yeah i would love a channel filled with non-traditional sports give me fucking bicycle jousting mm -hmm. give me fucking mm -hmm. dodgeball i saw an instagram reel of the lebron james of competitive dodgeball Ball, it was poetry in motion, my boys. I swear. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, what would a guy's network be without comedy? You know, the boys, we love to laugh. We love fucking you, laughing it up. Fucking chuckleheads over here. Yeah. That's why we have a thousand ways to die. So we can <laughs> laugh at a dude getting killed by like a giant fake boob. <laughs> Tell us about a thousand ways to die. I think it would be like three segments and it would just be deaths that someone heard about on the internet and didn't research at all. So every dumb boomer post you could think of that's like, did you know a man died because uh, he put his face in a stripper's fake breasts and he suffocated? They would do really bad reenactments, like murder show style reenactments, but then there would always be something salacious or something like the boobies. Deadliest warrior style like, reenactments. Yes. <laughs> Oh, so it would be like, he got kicked in the balls by a horse. Yes, it, it would be. It's shit like that. Bit, bit, bit on the balls by a rattlesnake. Brilliant programming. <laughs> How many Emmys did it win, you know? Okay, so some of the other great comedy. Did you ever watch the Joe Schmo show? No. The premise of the show is that they put 12 comedians in a house as if it was a game show and then invited one regular person in the house and the other 12 people were actors. They were playing characters and the, the regular person would assume that everybody else was also a regular person and not an actor and they would fuck with this one guy. It was really influential. A lot of comedy people today who were on it went on to have really good careers. The showrunner went and made the Deadpool movies. Kristen Wiig was one of the actors. David Hormsby would help make It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And a lot of comedians cite it as an influence, including Eric Andre, Amy Schumer. Oh, wow. Oh. I think you can see a lot of the DNA for something like Nathan For You in mm. a show like this. Another piece of programming, which I want to touch on because I think it's very fucking funny, is the Guy's Choice Awards. Oh, yeah. This 
kind of awards that go to guys. Have you guys ever noticed this? <laughs> we at least don't get to choose. Yeah. That's no. what's important. <laughs> That's our friend. In <laughs> fact, I'm hoping some of these awards go to some ladies. Oh, you, you better believe some of these awards be going to some ladies. So the trophy is a golden stag. and I don't get it. <laughs> it's You're a stag or a buck. You're, you're being buck broken. <laughs> And there's two nominees per category, and there's one winner. Two nominees. Why bother? (laughs) It's a much narrower field. The bare minimum for an award show. And the categories are so stupid, and they're meant to be stupid, but they're stupid in a way that they did not intend. I'll give you a great example. There's an award called Guy of the Year. Makes Mm -hmm. sense, right? There's also categories called Guy Con, Alpha Male, and Guy's Man. (laughs) (laughs) There's also an award for Brass Balls, which I guess there's a a little bit more characterization. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what are the traits? I want a four-circle Venn diagram that tells me what things are shared in common and what are different between Guy of the Year, Guy Con, Alpha Male, and Guy's Man. Well, in 2010, Mark Wahlberg beat Mark Zuckerberg for Guy of the Year. When I think of a guy, like a real, you know, a guy you can depend on. guy's guy. A guy who'll bust your balls. Yeah, a guy who will lie for you. Yeah, (laughs) bust your balls, your eyeballs. I think a guy is like Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> and Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. They're displaying a real pro-Mark bias in their selection for the shortlist. Like I said, there's three categories for the Guy's Choice Awards. There's the Guy Con, Alpha Male, and Guy's Man, and the Brass Balls Award, which went to Clint Eastwood. You know what's really annoying about all of these? They're going to thespians. <laughs> mm. Yeah, they're going to actors. If you redid this today with the people who talk about masculinity, who, who are obsessed with masculinity, if Ben Shapiro was giving out guy of the year, he'd be like, uh, the guy of the year goes to Paul Whelan, the American spy that Joe Brandon oh. did not let out of Russia in favor of the black lesbian basketball player. <laughs> yeah, the spy who sucks. These are the same people who like Donald Trump. I like guys who didn't get captured. Paul Whelan deserves nothing. He got captured. He's a loser. <laughs> we also have categories like biggest ass kicker in which Jason Bourne beat out Iron Man. This sucks so yeah, much. Yeah, they have an award for a fictional character <laughs> did they rent out like a like a hall for the oscars did uh, people have to sit through this live yes uh yeah studio they were they were at a studio i that guess which makes sense so broadcast. imagine you're a hollywood fucking a or b lister you're mark Wahlberg in 2010 and your agent is like you got to go to the spike tv awards and you need to sit through tony stark or fucking iron <laughs> man or who who was it? jason Bourne beat out jason Bourne beat out iron man you gotta be fucking kidding me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was also a separate award called the Deadliest Warrior. And who did that go to, Jordano? It went to Batman. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, the guy who has one rule. Yeah, which is what the hell? To not kill anyone <laughs> was given the award of Deadliest. I don't think the guys at Spike TV can fucking read, dude. No, actually, this is a, like a Marxist analysis because despite claiming to never kill people, Batman in his role as Bruce Wayne has no choice oh. in the grinding gears of the algorithm that is capital to make decisions that benefit mm. shareholders and, mm-hmm. and you know, other, That's other profiteers. That's what Spike TV is doing. Yeah. <laughs> and truly, Bruce Wayne, his decisions. By virtue of being a rich industrialist. A billionaire, yeah. Yeah. yeah, kill people all the time through He's the health got- problems. He's got the highest body count. Yeah, go go off, King. <laughs> but yeah, fear not about that Iron Man decision because the next year, Iron Man beat out Sherlock Holmes for the deadliest warrior of the year. 
out. Again, two people that don't kill people. <laughs> Again, if you did this today, the deadliest warrior would be like one of the guys who killed mm-hmm. Bin Laden and then wrote a book about it. They'd give it to like a SEAL yeah. Team 6 guy who's... Oh, no, 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 no. Hold on. The deadliest warrior, Vladimir Zelensky. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be, it would be a fucking I Stand With Ukraine award yeah. from Spike, <laughs> from For Spike sure. TV. He won the Guys Man Award. <laughs> yeah, why don't we do some women awards? We'll get some oh, awards yeah. for women, you know, because it's not all about guys, okay? There's also stuff that women can do. They can win things like the Hottest Girl on the Planet Award, won by Adriana Lima. They can also win other categories like the Holy Grail of Hot, the Hottest Twins, and, <laughs> and the Decade of Hot Award, which is their Lifetime Achievement Award, which is very funny because to spike the Lifetime Achievement for a woman being hot is a decade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, this is better than I thought it would be. When I heard there was going to be multiple categories for what kind of hot you were going to be, I thought we were about to go to the like the butcher's menu. <laughs> Greatest tits, <laughs> nicest thighs, hottest ass. Okay, but listen, we could see here the thighs were able to uh, crush the ballistic gel head. Um, <laughs> Whereas the titties were able to suffocate the man, but were unable to do any damage without uh, without hurting the warrior. Christina Hendricks versus me. I would like to lose, please. <laughs> <laughs> I, would like, I would like to lose a deadliest warrior. Uh, this will make more sense when we get to the deadliest warrior part. <laughs> so they also had a, a category called Killer Quote, which uh, one year was won by Don't Tase Me, Bro. <laughs> Oh. Which I gotta say, kill a fucking quote. I mean, was it so great? He got tased. <laughs> <laughs> seems to accomplish his goals. There is a award called the Outstanding Literary Achievement Award. And let me read you some of the nominees. Okay. A Russell Brand for My Bookie Wook beat out Dennis Leary. <laughs> so we're talking about some of the great pieces of literature of the decade. Mm-hmm. We're talking Dennis Leary's coffee-flavored coffee book. <laughs> Russell Brand's Bookie Wook. Russell Brand, who's now an alt-right, anti-vaxxer, <laughs> fucking pro-Putin guy. And what about Dennis Leary? What are his political views now? Oh, I don't want to know. I know he was on the Fireman show. It's yeah. like, okay, great. You get to pretend to be the manly man that you think you are. Congrats. <laughs> he, he uses public toilets. He pisses on the seat. He walks around in the summertime saying, how about this heat? <laughs> He's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good anthem for this network. So other nominees for the Outstanding Literature Award, Dick Cheney's Memoirs. That's got to be a joke. You know, who read those? Yeah, no. We have an ironic political podcast about the two thousands and we haven't read that no okay one last award there was a troops choice for entertainer of the year here we go let's get the troops involved finally it's the guys network finally we're getting some troop action you know we've had the men's network right. but it's all these fucking softies who stayed on the home front you know mm-hmm. they're crushing their beers and driving their hummers they're getting vaguely aroused at a cartoon stripper yeah yeah but let's hear what the manliest men of them all the troops what do they have to say well the troops choice for entertainer the year justin timberlake no wonder we lost to the taliban (laughs) the troops were listening to too much i want to rock your body (laughs) dance me really hard to achieve military victory while listening to sexy back (laughs) i think the troops were like you know what jt did showed us all janet jackson's boob and janet jackson's boob got me through some tough times that honestly might have been the rationale for they were like he fucking took off her shirt on national tv (laughs) (laughs) salute to a hero all right so we've had some fun 
<laughs> we've had, we've had some fun talking about Spike TV, but all good things must come to an end. Well, by 2005, Viacom is not happy with the reputation that Spike has. It's perceived as lowbrow. <laughs> Can you believe it? And reliant on sex appeal. <laughs> How did this happen? <laughs> So they try and make more serious content. Shows like Medal of Honor, the Iron Workers of 9-11. See, I told you they were Marxists. <laughs> yeah, so I had a question about this. Are they the Iron Workers who put up the Twin Towers or, or were clearing the Twin Towers when they were broken? Excellent question, man. I didn't do enough research. <laughs> They're the Iron Workers who knew where the debt cord should go. Yeah. <laughs> the Iron Workers who laid the thermite charges on yeah. the beams. Am I right, uh-huh. folks? I don't think there were thermite charges. Potentially future employers (laughs) (laughs) they also acquired the syndication rights to married with children what's a better sitcom for for this network than a guy with a bitch wife (laughs) who constantly refuses to actually fuck her right yeah Yeah. which again i never got it even as a kid i was like man katie sago can fucking get it dude why doesn't why doesn't i want to have sex with her i think he's on kratom He's drinking too much Kratom and he's not horny anymore. Oh, that, that wasn't a lead in for an ad? So anyway, the network, they're having a crisis of conscience and they want to make real shows. Stuff that focuses on overcoming adversity, gritty stuff. And they actually changed the network slogan from get more action to get real. So they start making real shows. Ironworkers 9-11, Bar Rescue. They buy the rights to cops and they make a little show by the name of Deadliest Warrior. Oh yeah. It's funny, the network's trying to grow up. Okay, yeah, you've had your fun, you've had your time in college. College. Now it's time to get real. Now it's time to do the real stuff that real men do. <laughs> like firefighting and beating up minorities. <laughs> because I bought the right things to cops. So in 2018, the network is killed. It's taken out back and shot. With what? <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people cite Me Too as a sign that the network just can't exist in the same world anymore. And I disagree with this take. I think that the reason the network went away is because I used to work for a television company. And one thing you learn is that nobody under 30 has cable television. And so if your network is aimed at men 15 to 30, those people don't have cable TV by 2010, 2015. Mm -hmm. It's fundamentally set up for failure. If you want to have a network on cable television, it should be aimed at people who need catheters fox news is in a beautiful position Mm -hmm. because those people are not disconnecting yeah what ads do you see when you watch the nfl you see truck commercials insurance commercials and dick pill commercials (laughs) they know who's watching so the network is forced to rebrand and they rebrand as the paramount network it's meant to be a premium cable tv network like fx or amc i think it still has a lot of that spike nashville network dna in it because its mandate is to give premium cable to middle america middle america doesn't have prestige tv they don't have succession family guy had a throwaway line about succession is the most popular show on tv in that a few dozen people in los angeles and new york like it <laughs> like they ain't watching hbo in middle america so they launch a show that has four spin-offs now by the name of yellowstone mm-hmm. you guys heard about this one folks i have if you are a boomer and you live somewhere between pittsburgh and scottsdale this is your favorite show <laughs> <laughs> my parents love it they ran me through the plot make of it what you will but Mm -hmm. the plot is about a single family in montana who owns half the 
estate sure. and wants to keep it as a ranch and hold on to their old school ways, despite outside forces from other countries, from other companies, from Native Americans trying to change their way of life and take their land and riches from them. So yeah, read I, into it what you want. Yeah, I read about this. The Native Americans are kind of like the villains of the story. <laughs> oh, I ended up watching a compilation of Yellowstone clips, and it is a demented ideology. The clip I saw first was, I think, from the pilot, where it's a bunch of Chinese tourists are trespassing on his land to photograph a bear, mm. and Kevin Costner comes up to come yell at them. But hey, it's moral because it's for their protection. He's stopping them from getting killed by the bear. Mm. And so whatever, it's like, oh, you gotta get off my land. But before that scene can end with them obeying him and getting back on their tour bus, the one guy turns around and is like, you know, no one has a right to own all the land. We share the land where I come from. Basically being like, we are bad because we are communist, Kevin Costner. <laughs> Damn, Kevin Costner's really done a 180 since Dances with Wolves. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and then as they're leaving, that particular Chinese man gets caught on the fence and he's like, here, we don't share land. Jesus wow. Christ. Yeah, my dad was telling me about the plot and I was like, oh, so it's a show about Americans who live an unsustainable way of life with too much land and resources and are fighting amongst themselves and others to hold on to it as time goes on. Yeah, it was like a 20 minute video that was just called whatever the family's name is. Yellowstone family versus trespassers. <laughs> that was the whole... Chinese it was just a, people, Native Americans. It was just a compilation of them threatening trespassers. It's because the American fantasy is not freedom to or freedom from, it's freedom to. Freedom to exploit. Is that is that your Matt Christman? It was gonna be. I guess I didn't have it in me. I'm not a big enough dude. And Tulsa King is now also on Paramount. What is Tulsa King? It's like a show about Sylvester Stallone who's a mobster who moves to Tulsa. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, I think I've seen ads for this. Okay. okay. We're talking about echoes in the culture. That's where we were. And I think the biggest echo in the culture from Spike TV is the ultimate fighter. Mm-hmm. So the ultimate fighter is the American idol for UFC fighting. And it kicks off in January of 2005 when MMA is not even legal in most states. John McCain called it here. He said it was a human cockfighting. <laughs> I can't do McCain without doing Biden anymore. No, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Before 2005, if you were into UFC, you were like a weirdo. You were a strange person. They made fun of it on Friends. Mm-hmm. It attracted a certain type of, you know how JD's a gun nerd? Imagine you're, yeah, like a joint lock nerd. That's who was a fan of the UFC. And Spike TV really, really popularizes it. Incredibly so. Everybody that I've read about credits the Ultimate Fighter as the reason for the UFC. Mm-hmm. And because the vehicle for the UFC becoming popularized was Spike TV, that's how its fan base today got to have such a certain, shall we say, uh, Ed Hardy affliction style flair to it. Because its fans were coming via Spike TV. People were getting together to watch The Ultimate Fighter. And The Ultimate Fighter, great show. It got really lucky. Its first season, it had two of the most unbelievably charismatic hosts in Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture. And it had some very serious fighters that went on to incredible success in the sport. People like Nate Diaz, one in season five. And its first season, this is like the Kelly Clarkson, Justin something. Yep. (laughs) Of The Ultimate Fighter was between Forrest Griffin and Stephen Bonner. And it's considered to be one of the greatest fights of all time. I'll I'll walk through some of the personalities introduced by this show. A guy named Kimbo Slice. Ever heard of him? Wow. You ever seen his his backyard fight videos? R.I.P. Also, a guy named Big Country Roy Nelson. He was a winner and he was a big fat guy with a giant beer belly who had an absolute haymaker punch and won as sort of a dark horse candidate. And then Brendan Schaub, who's now a extremely successful podcaster, has a podcast called The Fighter and the Kid, mm. also came from this show. So anyway, I just wanted to say that because it's not often that we get a new sport. Mm-hmm. Basically, all the sports we have, they're from 
the 1890s to the 1940s. And to Ben's point, we don't have enough programming about new sports. They almost never catch on. And this is actually an example of a sport that's now more popular than boxing. And Spike TV is a huge, huge part of that. I don't think we have the UFC in the state that it is today without the Ultimate Fighter. Absolutely not. And it's better than boxing. I don't know if you ever watched a boxing match, but they're fucking boring. From what I've heard from fans of the UFCs, (laughs) you know they know what they're talking about anatomy-wise. This is better for you for concussion reasons. But it leads itself to more spectacle. The fights are shorter. You're not just trying to, like, whatever, knock someone unconscious. You're not just trying to knock someone (laughs) unconscious. You're knocking someone conscious in addition to choking them out. (laughs) It just looks more cinematic because there's a greater diversity of moves that you can do. There's more holds, more different kinds of hits and kicks and this and the other. Strikes. It's like if you mixed a whole bunch of martial arts. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, JD. How about mixed Vesuvian arts? That's what I want to see on TV. Mm. You know, bring back the mystery method show (laughs) or whatever. Vesuvian? Yeah, tell me more. Vesuvian arts were, I think, what pickup artists called. Uh, Uh, Yeah, as opposed to martial art. (sighs) Should be venereal art. Venereal? (laughs) Yeah, of or pertaining to the goddess Venus. Vesuvius is a, that's the fucking volcano. (laughs) Because I'm about to blow my top, baby. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. I guess you can't call it the venereal arts unless you're trying to do it disparagingly. <laughs> as far as that goes in the culture go, we get the, the UFC and we briefly mentioned Joe Rogan. And Joe Rogan's on The Man Show and, and that's perfect for Spike TV. But he, I think Joe Rogan... I'm sorry, is Joe Rogan on The Man Show? Oh yeah. What, what is his role He's the, the other show? host. It's Jimmy Kimmel and Joe Rogan. Joe, what are you looking up, JD? This motherfucker's Notable up, juggies. <laughs> it's no list of notable juggies. <laughs> this motherfucker's looking up fucking thirst trap po- <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, Joe Rogan replaced Jimmy Kimmel after he left the man show. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And then the next heading is notable juggies. What's a juggie? <laughs> oh, Benjamin. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry, on the man show, they used to, I think, just as an interstitial sort of thing, they bring out the juggies, and it was a bunch of stripper-looking women who would come out and be like, woo. Oh, is that the one that would like jump on trampolines? This is, this is the guy who cries on television now. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. <laughs> well, you listener are probably aware that uh, if you type in Jimmy Kimmel blackface, he did that on the Man Show. He right. pretend to be Carl Malone, I believe, an yeah. NBA player. So it's just the stuff guys like <laughs> <laughs> doing blackface. <laughs> Women on trampolines. These are a few of my favorite things. (laughs) Anyway, I mentioned that people who had Spike TV, they don't have a cable subscription. And so what does Joe Rogan do? He takes the energy behind Spike TV and he brings it to a podcast. Mm -hmm. And so he takes questions like who could fuck up who Mm -hmm. and talks about that on a podcast instead of on a network television show. So in that spirit, we'll now get into our feature topic, what you've all been waiting for, the deadliest warrior. A show that rocks. An absolutely f- flawless tour. Oh, man, I can't. This show sucks so <laughs> So, yes, when we sat down to watch this, JD said, I remember this being corny in 2009 when I was watching it. Even at maybe all of our respective dumbest. Let's describe The Deadliest Warrior. The Deadliest Warrior is a show that, as we said, posits deep philosophical questions about who would win in fights. And they do this by testing weapons on ballistics gel torsos, on animal carcass that are close to human beings like cows and pigs apparently using high speed cameras
cameras and special patches that measure G-force. Every week, they bring on a couple experts for some historical fighters. They test weapons and ostensibly, this is the conceit of the show, scientifically prove who would win in a fight. But I think maybe we should introduce the show by describing the show's three hosts, starting with computer whiz Max Geiger. Max Geiger is a guy who knows how to use Microsoft Excel. <laughs> You'll notice he's not called a computer engineer or a computer scientist or a programmer or a data scientist. Yeah, because those are all real terms. <laughs> he is introduced by the voiceover guy, voiceover guy, Faramir in Lord of the Rings. He is introduced as a computer whiz from Slytherin Studios, Max Geiger. He is a super Reddit guy. And I found his AMA. He did an AMA on Reddit because he is a super Reddit guy. He thinks that unions killed this glorious show. <laughs> <laughs> kind of right wing in his politics. He was asked, what are your technical qualifications? He responded, and I quote verbatim, I have no formal qualifications. Yeah, we looked up his LinkedIn and mm -hmm. he was a PA before this. I'm sorry, that's cool. Yeah, this is just the coolest. Yeah, but he's the computer Can whiz. Can you tell? Would him being a computer whiz make his role on the show more compelling? <laughs> yeah, it would actually. If he was a data analyst, would you respect him more? Actually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Because sometimes he would speak to his abilities to work the algorithm. And let's say the mafia guy would be like, yeah, but the thing about the mafia is they're going to kiss you in the cheek and then stab you in the back. And he would be like, oh, maybe I can write something into the program to like address that. <laughs> this guy's not fucking addressing shit in the program. Yeah. And this doesn't come as a big shock because whatever they show B-roll on the show <laughs> of him working on the computer, it is just a bunch of Excel boxes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Kelly Rowland clip of her using Microsoft Excel to text somebody on <laughs> Oh my god, yes! <laughs> Computer whiz Max Geiger was asked, how did you land your role on Deadliest Warrior? He responded, I cold answered an email casting that began, seeking an caps lock, on camera computer wizard to explain and manage an existing computer program. Our show is centered around scientific testing that will obtain real world values that our computer wizard will scale and load into the program so that multiple simulations can be run. Some experience in game programming and architecture would be ideal as this will facilitate the use of a scenario editor and data files to help create an accurate output. The game engine that our programmer will be utilizing, parentheses, no source code editing, <laughs> is similar to that used in 2D combat strategy games such as Age of Empires, Battle of Middle-earth, etc. Our perfect candidate should be enthusiastic, interesting, intelligent, and very comfortable being on camera. A great performance will never be as effective as a great personality. Ugh. My soul left my body at that. So this guy, he should have won the Spike TV Break Brass Balls Award because he responded like, yeah, I'll, I'll do this. Uh -huh. Ironically, yes. You're making me respect Max Geiger so much more. He certainly deserved it more than Clint Eastwood. <laughs> yeah. Clint Eastwood would be like, oh, it keeps thinking this is a date. When I put it. <laughs> they reference Age of Empires and Battle of Middle Earth, which I think are two games that just use the piercing. It's a rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, it, yeah. the type of armor and, and weapon you can have is, yeah, like piercing siege and blout or whatever. Okay. I do like having some insight into what the algorithm from Slytherin Studios Slytherin is. Slytherin Studios. <laughs> 
Computer Wiz Max Geiger gets fired from the show after season two because he sucks. <laughs> he does not bring the on-camera heat to these interactions. The second host is maybe my favorite, Dr. <laughs> Armand Dorian, a.k.a. Dr. Obvious. <laughs> this guy's an actual medical doctor who's worked in Hollywood. If you pull him up on Wikipedia or his LinkedIn, he's been the medical consultant for half a dozen shows for ER and Grey's Anatomy. He is a Hollywood doctor guy. I'm sure he writes a lot of really fun prescriptions, <laughs> given his job but his job on the show is to watch them test weapons and it must be stressed half of the battles are going to be spartan versus ninja or something ancient or pre-modern but a full half of them are just guns it's just navy seals special forces israeli commandos fucking spetsnaz it's just going to be guns and so they test these weapons on the ballistic gel torsos they bring in dr armand dorian to look at it and say things like now as you can see here he's been shot in the neck so this is a kill shot but also he's disoriented he can't talk the blood is flooding his windpipe so he can't warn his friend because of the bullet in his neck and the blood that he's losing that was actually way more insightful than, than anything <laughs> <laughs> dr armand obvious whatever he said. Yeah. and let me tell you he's been shot in the neck he's never gonna sing again i'll tell you that much <laughs> yeah this guy could be testing out a, a victim of an atomic bomb and be like well the victim has been completely vaporized and will no longer be able to tactically engage with the combatant in any way. As you can see, he appears to be mostly a shadow burnt onto this wall. <laughs> now, I gotta say, he's no longer a moving target. He's easier to hit now. Yeah. <laughs> Just because of the nature of the show, they're always practicing on, for the most part, like stationary human gel torsos that are meant to mimic real bones and flesh. But the thing is, if you run up to one of these torsos and hit them with a frying pan, you're going to fracture the skull. Yeah. So no matter what weapon they're using on it, it's this guy's job, Dr. Obvious, to walk up to the torso, point to the missing skull, <laughs> and be like, yeah, see, now what would happen here is the brain is exposed. <laughs> <laughs> Now, generally, best practices in medicine, we want to say you want to keep the brain within the skull. Day one of med school. And post number three, probably maybe the most charismatic, is a guy named Jeff Desmoulins, a Canadian former special forces operator guy and also a biomedical expert. So on the show, he'll set up the high-speed cameras, but he has an actual PhD in kinesiology. He has the fucking gym class PhD. And he is now the CEO of a biomedical consulting company. And Listener, I recommend you look this guy up because imagine the operator speak of tactically ascertaining with an ocular assessment the mm -hmm. vectors of violence which occurred in the altercation, uh, blah, blah, blah. Imagine that rhetoric but applied to just an absolute ambulance chaser. Right. This guy uses that in fucking class action lawsuits. He uses shit. forensics to find out when you slip and fell, how exactly your ACL was torn so that you can see. <laughs> to the P.F. Chang's that you were at when it <laughs> yeah. happened. Here are just three bullet points. Injury, biomechanics. We use medical records, diagnostic images, scientific literature, as well as data collected from our experiments to understand how and why injuries occur, giving a comprehensive understanding to both judge and jury of the event and the resulting injury. That's awesome. You tell me they bring like a pig with jelly sewn up inside <laughs> of it by some poor PA. 
<laughs> they bring that to court. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, if you would turn your attention to the ballistics gel torso <laughs> in front of you, I will demonstrate that my client could not have fractured that skull using a pool cue. <laughs> if my client would kindly step forward. So yeah, those are our three hosts, and they are going to walk us through the Deadliest Warrior competition, the testing of all these things. Let's summarize some of the episodes. We wanted to do this episode because it's Christmas time. We're all back in our hometown, and this is a show that we all watched together when we were young men of um, of a certain taste <laughs> in school. And this show was was a reason to get together every week, and we wanted mm-hmm. to relive mm-hmm. some of that magic. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen all of them, some great episodes. Episodes like, have you ever thought to yourself, who would win in a fight, Sun Tzu, <laughs> <laughs> the Philosopher, or Vlad the Impaler? <laughs> Separated in history by 2,000 years. Who would win in this fight? So how do we figure this out? Well, first off, you bring two sex criminals in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so every episode of Deadliest Warrior features two experts from both warriors' side. These experts are often given names like Samurai Descendant mm-hmm. or Celt Warrior Descendant. <laughs> They're very generous. Yeah. <laughs> or Nazi Historian. <laughs> yeah, the two guys who were the Vlad the Impaler experts were two sort of Tommy Wiseau style guys. One guy was like an actual Tommy Wiseau doppelganger. That he guy had the, rocked. He had the long black hair. He had a pretty thick accent from somewhere. <laughs> from in, somewhere. Some, and he, he deadpanned everything. And he super deadpanned everything. The other guy was a horny goth serial killer looking motherfucker. Black nail polish. He talked in a low and really breathy way. Yeah. Vlad loved impaling. Mm. <laughs> this is the kind of knowledge bombs he was dropping on people. And they would come in and they would test the weapons. And sadly and very predictably Vlad the Impaler did win. But the first thing that they tested was not any kind of combat weapon. They just took a big stake and jammed it up where the rectum would be in a ballistic gel torso. Mm-hmm. Or actually, it wasn't even a torso that way. It was a full body. Mm-hmm. And they put it vertical and watched this ballistic gel torso slide down the impale thing from ass to fucking clavicle. And the other guys were like, but that's not a combat weapon. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, look, it looks cool on TV. One of the biggest criticisms of the show often is that the weapons they are using are meant to look cool in a demonstration. When you're watching KGB, versus the Green Berets, one of the weapons the KGB uses is the ballistics knife. Yes. Why? Yes. Well, because I, we can't just show you eight guns. <laughs> <laughs> Which eventually they will do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. Oh, they have a sword, but also they have the B gun. Mm. <laughs> the Ming warrior was fighting someone with a gun. I believe it was a French musketeer. They have musket right in the name, so they had a gun. But the Ming warriors didn't use gunpowder range weapons. So in order for there to be range versus range, the Ming warrior just threw threw a beehive in their simulation. <laughs> so anyway, getting back to Sun Tzu and Vlad the Impaler, the way they dress the dummies up whenever... <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes! <laughs> For all of the Sun Tzu dummies that the Vlad the Impaler experts are fighting against, they've just put Fu Manchu mustaches on them and kimonos. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, Vlad the Impaler wins, and it closes with a recreation of a battle. Every episode closes with a recreation of the battle. This episode ended with putting the Chinese sage Sun Tzu up on a impaling spike. That was the final shot of the episode. It is one of the most lopsided victories of the show. Typically, they're pretty close, but who would have thought that, yeah, putting a full 
philosopher from 3,000 years ago up against a medieval warlord. With gunpowder. With gunpowder, yeah. yeah. One of Vlad's weapons was called the hand cannon. It was a fucking gun. <laughs> the last thing I'll say about this episode is that they do all these teasers in every single episode. Before every commercial break, there's always a teaser. But in this teaser, they ask the host, who do they got? And the hosts always split. One of the three is for sure on one side. One of the three is for mm-hmm. sure on the other. And the third is ambivalent. Wouldn't you know it? And Max Geiger had to say he thought Sun Tzu would win. He's like, he wrote the book on war. And the show just zooms in on a paperback <laughs> copy of The Art of War, zooms out, and zooms back in again. Oh, well, yeah. Can't forget The Art of War that I'm sure had tidbits like, don't fight at night and only fight when you know you can win. Which is general <laughs> proverbs and truisms. Moving on. I want to do a quick lightning round just to talk about the most egregious robberies of Deadliest Warrior. Okay. So now that we've established Max Geiger said it himself in the AMA, there is no model. There is no computer model. They just choose who they think would win. It's entirely subjective, despite the show's ostensible faux scientific frame. That's that's literally better than the simulation. No, no. The show's (laughs) entire merit is built in the idea of objectivity and science. That's the only reason for it to exist or else it's just three assholes going who would win in a fight <laughs> tell me tell me you're rich off the computer without telling me you're rich off the computer <laughs> no oh, the computer's good says Giordano yeah, the, no, com- all the, computer the computer is always right <laughs> all hail the data science throwing this, numbers in the computer always yields good this was a mispractice of data science and I will not stand for it <laughs> They're using data science for evil, or rather, they're not even using it at all. They're just pretending to. Now that we know it's all subjective, here are the most egregious robberies. We put two terrorist groups up against one another. And as we all know, all terrorism is the same. All terrorists uh, have the same ideologies and are motivated by the same factors. It was the Taliban versus the IRA. Now, who should win in this one is obvious. Right. It's the one who won their war. (laughs) It's the one who beat literally everyone who tried to fight them. The undefeated is like, who would win in a fight? Michael Jordan in the mid-90s or me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how's that reunified Ireland going? Oh, what's that? It's been over a hundred years of struggle and you've accomplished nothing? Cool, pussies. Yeah, let's put them up against the guys who beat the USSR and then England and the United States at the same time. And Poland. I believe they brought cavalry to Afghanistan. <laughs> I believe it was like World War II. But you don't understand. <laughs> they had a nail bomb. <laughs> They put nails on a bomb. Yes. So in this episode, they compare each team's explosives. And the Taliban has a mine because Afghanistan to this day is the most mined country on earth because the Soviets were mining it like crazy. And the CIA gave the Taliban all of the gear in the world in the 80s and they laid their mines. There are so many mines in Afghanistan that this episode is dedicated to a demining charity. That's how many mines there are. The IRA have a fucking nail bomb that you get with home hardware ingredients and and this show gave it to the nail bomb. Egregious. Because the entire show is premised on let's give it to the cooler guy. And there are so many Irish Americans watching Spike TV. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Irish Americans are their core demographic. And the experts that they bring on for the IRA, first of all, they're Irish. So they're automatically amazing at trash talking. <laughs> and they're just cool. They're like Scotty. You know, it's a couple of Irish guys. An Irishman named Scotty should be named Irishy. Yeah. And then it's against two actual Mujahideen fighters. Yeah. So let's 
just say they're fairly stern in their attitude. <laughs> that one dude was one of the coolest guests Deadliest Warrior ever had. Yeah, the former Mujahideen was just so dead in the eye. Oh, yeah. that's right, because you were a child soldier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the things they say. The IRA do terrorism on a part-time basis. Weekends and evenings sometimes. But the, the Taliban, that's just what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, like Obama. That's what I do. Right, yeah. It, it's fact exactly like Obama. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, this episode was basically Sons of Anarchy versus Obama. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> they didn't give any X factor to the ability to have brother dreams. <laughs> Nice callback. They also gave them the wrong gun and they still won. The only test that they performed that was even vaguely scientific was that they took the AK-47, which is the gun used by the Taliban, Mm -hmm. and then the... The AR-15, which is famously not the gun most commonly used by the IRA. They famously imported shitloads of AR-18s or built them, Ben. Why are you... You're the gun guy. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what makes it so sad. Okay. It is a pedant point. It's a pedantic point to be like, oh, they gave them the AR-15 instead of the AR-18, right? It would be a pedantic point, because whatever, they're two select fire assault rifles that fire, what, five five six, right? It's the same right, thing. Right, right. Sure, and, sure, yeah. And yet they still manage to insult us by doing the mud test. Right. The older IRA guy, they shove the guns in mud. They do AK versus AR, one of five or six times in the series that they relitigate AK <laughs> versus AR. And they do a mud test, an in-range TV-style mud test where they put mud on the gun's receiver and they pop, 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 try to shoot it. And obviously the AK runs perfectly, I think, even if it didn't they would have made it run perfectly for the camera because mm-hmm. that's the story and then well when they do the m16 what do you know that poor guy looks back at the camera and goes guns jammed <laughs> with the most <laughs> defeated look in his eyes ever and they still gave it to the ar-15 yeah it's the one scientific test that they actually did other than shooting the dummies and being like yeah this one seems a little bit more fucked up <laughs> <laughs> that's what they do with every gun comparison sorry go on it's the one scientific test that they do with the same control conditions mm-hmm. the ak passes and the AR-15 fails. And yeah, wouldn't you know it, the AK-47 kills less people. They give it to it on vibes. This is the one where they hand it to the Canadian Special Forces guy and he shoots both guns. And he's like, you know what? I just like the feel of the AR better. Really? The guy from the Canadian Special Forces (laughs) prefers the feel of the AR-15 more than the AK-47. Yeah, it's dog shit. Maybe if they brought a guy in from the Somali Special Forces. Yeah, someone from Mozambique where they put the gun on the flag. (laughs) That's a badass goddamn flag. Another egregious robbery Napoleon versus George Washington Napoleon one of the greatest generals in world history it took all of Europe combined <laughs> to barely take him down he almost almost got it and fought 20 years later yeah versus George Washington the one general bumming around the colonies the plantation owner who larped in his uniform and his gang of shoeless hillbillies <laughs> they gave it to George Washington with inferior technology Technology. <laughs> I think my personal most egregious robbery was the Nazi Waffen SS beating the Viet Cong. Who put this on television? I get it. You've been PC to death. Can't uh-huh. we just show Nazis on TV? Can't we just show the fucking Schutztruppe, uh-huh. whatever the fuck they were called in German? <laughs> this was one of my favorite episodes because you can't get television programming like this anymore. First of all, the expert that they brought on clearly brought his own costume from home. Yikes. And all of the 
cutaways in this episode are just the Viet Cong and also the SS, like, just mowing down American GIs. Yeah, that was a group of people the SS was gunning down en masse. <laughs> Servicemen. <laughs> <laughs> they did the Holocaust, is what I'm saying. Okay, welcome to Pedant Corner. <laughs> the Waffen SS specifically, the Waffen part were the military branch of the SS. Mm. So I think the end of Saving Private Ryan, the mm. unit there against is Waffen SS. JD, do you have some uniforms at home <laughs> in a closet? <laughs> well, no, but I do have a dagger or two. You know, it's whatever. In the unit description, the SS are six feet tall, 175 pounds, <laughs> and the Viet Cong are 5'4", 120. Again, they give it to the fucking Nazis. They yeah. give it to the people from an earlier period in history who lost their war. To the Americans, the side that was beat by the Viet Cong. Yeah, insane. The trash talking in this episode is so weird because you do have these clearly just Nazi obsessed gaunt looking guys saying things like all your little commie brothers are going bye bye as fit as in. <laughs> one of the cutaway scenes of the Viet Cong is an American serviceman is having sex with a prostitute who when he turns his back she takes out one of those tiny guns from her purse and mows him down a derringer Hello. Yeah. so it wasn't the tokara <laughs> one thing we didn't say is that deadliest warrior is peppered before and after every commercial break with be real of just generic combat that looks like dog shit and a voiceover gives you the world's worst history lesson read <laughs> the top page of a wikipedia article yeah and that episode ends with max geiger saying after the nazis win i don't like it but in this fight we had two bad guys <laughs> which is some pretty crazy false equivalency on yeah. max geiger's part moving on let's just get into our, our just more general criticisms yeah i mean uh, first and foremost is they gotta track down experts and the uh, the experts are usually just comical blowhards like the pirate experts are both these pretty chunky guys <laughs> I don't want a body shame here, but they don't have a warrior's physique. Yeah, they've plundered successfully, you dumbass. <laughs> they've enjoyed rum and sweet meats, all from Barbary Bay to, to, <laughs> to Lisbon. Barbados. Yeah, like. <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe they were just too successful as pirates, but they get some real weirdos. We already talked about the horny goth and the Nazi LARPers, but every now and then a really funny, serious guy sneaks in, like the actual, probably former child soldier from the Mujahideen, but on the Ivy in the terrible episode they had an actual phd in russian literature not military history just like a real book literature nerd and i found this guy's academic cv do these sound like the titles of a book of a guy who should appear on spike tv's deadliest warrior russia in a box colon art and identity in an age of a revolution cosmonaut who couldn't stop smiling the life <laughs> The life and legend of Yuri Gagarin. Yeah, they were really scraping the bottom of the barrel. And this guy was desperate for any line that would help him make tenure. <laughs> yeah, the experts that they got were not very great at trash talking either. Mm -hmm. You were convinced that they fed them lines. And I'm like, no, these lines are too horrible. Yeah. They'd just be like, well, I don't know about that because I don't think it would go that way. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> that would sort of be the extent of their trash talk. Honestly, I would take the strange, weird stuff over. Yeah, well, you actually what would happen is you would get killed yeah <laughs> that fucked up goth guy was honestly maybe one of the most entertaining experts besides the experts that were entertaining because they were legit like the mujahideen guy <laughs> who let us see his retinas in like, his, his thousand yard stare the whole time that guy was awesome but besides that kind of awesome that creepy guy was honestly the most entertaining to watch we watched a bit of somali pirate versus Medellin cartel and i also got that vibe oh, from the that. somali pirate guy who was just very calm and speaking very steadily i would 
like to have seen Teddy Roosevelt having looked through the list of all guns. All right, tell us about the guns on the Teddy Roosevelt. By the way, this is Teddy Roosevelt versus Lawrence of Arabia. But the older guns are more interesting because there's more meaningful differences between them. Lawrence of Arabia probably had the SMLE or the number four carbine, right? A British bolt action, probably one of the coolest guns ever featured on this show. But Teddy Roosevelt had a, whatever, like a lever action or a bolt action rifle that was firing one of those old school rounds. It would be way cooler to watch a round that weighs a pound tear through the ballistic gel torso than to watch 556 go through it for the sixth time. I want to see the old guns. When they did the, like, the muskets and the, the arquebuses. Yeah, when they did the arquebus through the armor, that was probably the coolest ballistic test they did. Watching it just, yeah, that dented hole through the armor. Yeah, it's that like, was awesome. It's conquistador plate armor and they got the stupid pointy chrome hat that the yeah. conquistadors had and they shot an arquebus at it in a hyper slow motion camera to see this bullet out of a musket that's the size of a fucking grape or larger. It's definitely a lot more interesting to watch someone use a black powder firearm and see what it does than to watch them do an AKM for the literal third time. They did some version of AR-15 like eight times. Yeah, and that's the main complaint I have. This is one of the reasons why I think the show failed is that once you get to a certain level of gun, it's no longer interesting to see their killing power because I get it. A fucking gun is dangerous and it will go through you and fuck up your skull or whatever you're shooting it at. I think it's the episode I remember best was the Korean Special Forces versus Rangers one where they have them go through like a shoot house. Yeah, every modern gun is going to fuck you up really bad. So they have to have Dr. Obvious come in and be like, yeah, this one fucked him up even worse. (laughs) From an already thrice over deadly wound, they got to be like, this one is fourth times over deadly. And from its merit, scientifically, you think that they would do something like, let's take two guns and shoot them through a wall of pig carcasses and see how many pig carcasses the bullet goes through, right? Mm -hmm. Give us some kind of equal test that they both can can operate on so that we can see a direct comparison, but that never happens. Never, never, ever do that. It's always two different types of ballistic gel dummies. It's always, yeah, a pig and a ballistic gel dummy. And a pig and a porcelain plate. (laughs) Just give me the same thing. Yeah, Yeah. You just out of your ass came up with a better debate to litigate because for AK versus AR, the most annoying debate of the 20th century, right? Like, (laughs) of course. (laughs) The ability to go through foliage and still kill a guy or the ability Mm -hmm. to go through cover and still kill a guy. Yes. A big internet Reddit nerd debate about AK versus AR. That would have been awesome. Shoot the ballistic gel through a bunch of foliage or through eight layers of drywall and see what happens, right? And this is my biggest complaint about the show is it could have been good because its basic question is very interesting in a stupid way that we all want to know the answer to and they just pulled it off in the most hackneyed, dumb way that a five-year-old could have pointed to a better... man. Dan Carlin, who's maybe the biggest history podcaster, did a hardcore history addendum called what if julius caesar fought at the battle of hastings his whole point is that before the development of gunpowder there's this kind of level playing field so could julius caesar through generalship have won at hastings that's like a real i don't want to say public intellectual but this is the kind of question that people find interesting to listen to and they could have produced interesting answers but instead they didn't and, mm-hmm. and those were the sorts of bar conversations people were having that i think were the genesis for this show right i mean these were more like we're 14 or whatever but you know sugar high and i don't know a vex (laughs) 
kind of intoxication. Talking about this kind of shit. Oh, yeah. Who would win? Five U.S. Marines versus a gazillion redcoats or something, right? And these are the kind of conversations I think dudes probably have had forever. And these guys were like, well, what if we litigate this on a scientific level on this show? And they just somehow managed to be less conclusive than those bar <laughs> conversations would have been. Do you know what one of the questions Computer Wiz Max Geiger was asked on Reddit? Who would win? 100 no. duck-sized horses no. or one horse-sized duck? <laughs> Justin Trudeau did that on Instagram today. Today? In the year of our Lord, 2022? Wait, no, wait, wait, wait. Justin Trudeau in literally 2022? (laughs) Because it's 2022, he was answering questions from Twitter, but the way that the questions blended together were so offensive. The questions that he'd be like, "Uh, if a dog wore pants, would he wear wear them like this? this, this? Why can't we have free dentistry in Canada? (laughs) Then it's like, which would win in a fight? The duck-sized horse? Oh, but also, when are you going to repeal Bill C-21? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a question about the missing and murdered indigenous <laughs> women thrown in there. That's awesome. That's actually great. <laughs> Justin Trudeau would be great for this show. Oh, yeah. Well, he'd be great for the man show because he loves blackface so much. He'd be great as a fucking ballistics gel dummy in this show. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> also, yes. No, sorry. The man show. I, I did miss that. That is very funny. Oh, <laughs> uh, that guy. What do you think his shoe polish budget is? <laughs> How many units of shoe polish is the Canadian taxpayer paying for? Who is deadlier, Justin Trudeau's brother or an avalanche? Did he, did he lose a brother in an avalanche? Yeah. Oh. That's a Kennedy-style death, if you ask that me. That is a Kennedy-style yeah, death. Yeah, yeah. so other criticisms of the show. This show thinks so little of its audience. It has so much contempt. Because it's a 42-minute show that easily could have been a flat oh fucking 20. It could have been It could have been a 10-minute show. It could have been a YouTube series. But you're right. This would have been such a good half-hour show. Yeah. After every commercial break, they summarize everything that's happened. Before every commercial break, they preview to you what's going to happen. After you sat there and watched the entire show they summarize everything from the get-go every single weapon they summarize what just happened and i think that it's just because they have so much disrespect and contempt for their baby brain viewers they think that during the commercial break all of their memories got pushed out of their brains (laughs) and so that they need to just catch them up like a security blanket as they're watching this show it occurs to me gentlemen we haven't actually skimmed over the format of the show have we each episode poses one of these questions we've mentioned you know who would win and what they do is they, they've introduced the aforementioned experts who will trash talk and stuff and then what we'll do is they have a list of weapons from each faction and they're meant to be equivalent to each other it's usually an ultra close range mm-hmm. a kind of close range a mid-range and usually a long range rarely are they even close to equivalent unless they want to make a really boring gun comparison and what they'll do is they'll do these frustratingly incongruous tests for each one so they'll be like the ak-47 versus a mongol bow <laughs> right they'll shoot the mongol bow at a dummy dressed as a villager and then they'll shoot the AK-47 at a pig that's filled with grape jam or something. (laughs) The carcasses bleed so much because it's clear that someone filled it up with red food coloring water. Yeah, they've sewn them up. They've gotten commercially available pig carcasses and they visibly... Production assistant Max Geiger. (laughs) So here's the thing. Max Geiger, you said said unions ruined the show or something. Mm -hmm. I guarantee it was PAs being like, hey, I have PTSD from from putting red goo (laughs) in a hundred pig carcasses and having to sew them up. That's when the unions really but it's honest work. <laughs> they do these these incongruous tests between the weapons throughout the episode. Hey, this weapon versus this weapon. This weapon versus this weapon. While the guys trash talk each other between tests. And then at the end, Max Geiger puts a bunch of numbers <laughs> into a, an Excel spreadsheet 
and they do a murder show style reenactment mm -hmm. where the warriors enact the tests that they've just done with their weapons. And they always function the same way, these reenactments. First of all, you go into the Matrix when these reenactments They do a cool start. little Matrix thing. You go into yeah. the computer, then they have a bunch of questionably period accurate actors go and fight each other. Every single one looks like Southern California where it's shot. Like, yeah. They don't have the budget to shoot on locations. There's a lot of the forest behind your friend's house kind of settings. <laughs> yeah. Every fight will feature every single weapon that we saw. One at a time. And oftentimes they have five versus five because it gives a chance for all the weapons to kill someone. And yeah, every weapon is going to get a kill. You know that if you haven't seen one yet, that's the that's the team that's... That one's coming. Even in a 5v5, it almost always ends mano y mano, one-on-one, to try and build the tension up. But I gotta say, this was also one of my criticisms is the corniness and cheese of these reenactments. There's CGI fire anytime there's an explosive that looks horrendous. They're all done in sepia tone. Sepia tone? I've only seen it written. There's not a blank or a squib to be found. No, 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 no. Really hammy acting with war cries. Hell yeah. Fake mustaches, very poorly affixed in the case of Vlad the Impaler, who did have the handlebar Fu Manchu mustache in real life, but I've seen pornography with better production values than, than <laughs> these reenactments. Yeah, and that's that's the show. I think you gotta understand, the show has an amazing voice actor. As I said, it's the actor who plays Faramir. I should have written his name down. But yeah, this guy has an awesome voice, and it always opens with him saying something like, Spartan Warrior, the ninja, who is deadliest? And it's a great little setup, and I thought we could read some of the matchups that we hope to see. If they were to reboot this show, you know, everything's getting a reboot. We always close our episodes by saying, oh yeah, there's a reboot in the works. Yeah. Hire us, yeah. Uh, Paramount, because we know how to make this show good. We love this show. We think it's a brilliant idea. You've gone and great idea. Gummed it up. Flawed execution. Absolutely. You tried to make this show Deadliest Housewives when it deserves to be more like <laughs> extremely scientific and revolutionary. So the real episodes are stuff like Pirate vs. Knight, Shaolin Monk versus Maori Warrior, Viking vs. Samurai, Spartan vs. Ninja. Really awesome matchups. And here are some of the matchups that we posit that you could look into. Episodes like, you know, Pat Tillman versus the American military. <laughs> <laughs> Who is deadliest? Uh, Stephen Paddock versus Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have a few lopsided ones in there. Yeah. I think that would be one of them. Kyle Rittenhouse versus Brace Belden. <laughs> a bat versus the world economy. <laughs> a pit bull versus a baby. <laughs> or how about the pit bull expert is Michael Vick? <laughs> Ooh, I like that we're getting in-depth. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> BPD Auto versus Black Pilled Incel. <laughs> <laughs> What are each of their weapons, you think? Imposter syndrome versus general anxiety disorder. <laughs> That'd be libbed, Deadliest Warrior. Well, that's a funny detail, too, by the way. Third season, they bring in each of the Deadliest Warriors' mental health. Because we're yes. getting into the 2010s. Mm -hmm. but I think it's 2012 when the third season airs. And so we start to talk about how Vlad the Impaler may have had bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder. Yeah. Yeah, and they keep trying to spin it like it would make him worse at literally anything. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they have these weird X factors that they claim to put into the simulation in season three. It's all these nebulous concepts like domination. What's his domination index? <laughs> Give us, open up the hood a little bit. Come on. Yeah. We know that they couldn't do that because there is nothing under the hood. The emperor <laughs> was wearing no clothes. I think yeah. at the time it was easier to believe. Now everyone knows computer so they can see the bullshit. Because you know what? People do just believe the computer now. Right. People yeah. love believing computer. If I have one more to add. Yeah. Uh, gay guy versus gay woman. Oh, that's... 
that's good. <laughs> that's really good. The Subaru is too tough for the... <laughs> For the gay man to open. With a flat top, he is unable to, quote, snatch her wig. Viet Cong yeah, versus real. Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're out here in the middle of the field. You come at me with an AK-47 in a pharmacy and I'm going to get the better of you. <laughs> Closing thoughts. What, if anything, is the lasting impact of Deadliest Warrior? And this is really why we brought JD on, because he's a big gun YouTube guy. Well, okay, so let's be clear. It's, it's not from the perspective of a shooter. It's from the perspective of a World War II uncle, which I've been <laughs> <Okay>. since age <laughs> 11, right? <laughs> but no, I, I think what they try to do with this show, which is be like, well, wh- what, what does it look like if we shoot the ballistic gel torso with a blunderbuss? That's what gun YouTube is now, and they literally do it way better. And that's what is extra frustrating about watching this show sometimes is that you see them do these tests and it's like oh in the modern day you can see like an independent operation do this way better so i sent you guys an image the other day it was of the most subscribed gun channel on youtube and they're called demolition ranch and they're a gun entertainment they're not like forgotten weapons where it's about oh let's look at the history of this firearm it's hmm. how many layers of body armors can a 50 cal go through we'll put five of them on a table and see what happens right wow such a better test than anything deadliest warrior ever yeah. did how far into the ground will a 50 cal get if i just shoot a 50 cal at the ground cool jordan now read off some titles just just pick some titles legos are they bulletproof <laughs> hell yeah it's just incredible because deadliest word got so boring because it was always the fucking pig carcasses always mm-hmm. the ballistic gel dummies and it's like yeah the gun's gonna fuck it up but why not shoot it at a tank why not shoot it at a helmet yeah shoot through foliage or drywall yeah. or cover or sandbags or whatever shoot it through max geiger and see yeah. which one <laughs> has it go through his skull more there's a guy called paul harrell and he's just a hot 60 year old basically and then he does practical tests he did different kinds of shotgun ammo different size of shotgun shells hey how many layers of drywall will this go through in case you want to kill a home invader but not kill your child way better test than any of this and here's an unfunny one on your screen here from demolition ranch how bulletproof is an army helmet it tells you all you need to know he's probably going to shoot a bunch of different size guns at an army helmet until one of them goes through what was the verdict basically anything above a tiny pocket pistol will go straight through an army helmet they're not meant to be bulletproof. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's for like shrapnel or whatever. Or a bullet hits at the right angle or from really far away. Like a nine millimeter pistol, we'll go right through one of those things. This fucking show did a mass murderers episode. Did another two bad guys episode where they made Saddam Hussein fight Pol Pot. One of the weapons was not famine as it should have been. Yeah, and Saddam Hussein wins. And in the reenactment, of course, it comes down to these two singular figures. Mm -hmm. And Saddam Hussein outsmarts Pol Pot. Yep. With a body double, which I thought was a really nice touch. That's pretty good, actually. I saw they got psychological health scores, which oh, is ridiculous yes. because no one was in better psychological... Yeah, did you guys know Pol Pot had a more initiative than Saddam Hussein? <laughs> and a uh, slightly higher killer instinct? <laughs> Unfortunately, much lower training and dominance scores. Scientifically, those are really easy things to measure, and so it just makes sense. <laughs> this is oh. one of the most boring weapon matchups ever, too. Yes, a, a it's knife a like A regular pistol versus a regular pistol. Machine guns, which ironically are kind of Look the most boring weapon to talk about. stupid this is. It's the RPK light machine gun versus the RPD mm-hmm. light machine mm-hmm. gun. Mm-hmm. It's K versus D. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. <laughs> K is bigger. <laughs> Did you know Saddam Hussein wrote an erotic novel? This guy wrote no. Smut. Yes. I, actually, yes. I had heard that. Yeah. And that's something that they really should have incorporated to the simulation. Zooming in on the book. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> What's his creativity score? <laughs> I think also, as we close out on the show, it's worth mentioning the final episode 
episode of Deadliest Warrior, which I did not watch. This show launched right at the end of our window, the Y2K decade, and it goes into the early 2010s. And you definitely start to see a transition to this very cringe millennial Reddit style of guy, which we're probably going to do an episode on at some point, millennial cringe humor. The Zoomers have started to drag us, rightfully so. But the final episode of Deadliest Warrior is zombie versus vampire. They ran out of historical figures. In all of human history, there were no more warriors to test, at least none that people have heard of. There were no more guns to shoot. So they had to go to the well of fiction. And the period between 2008 and 2012 is probably when zombie fandom was at its most annoying. This is, of course, when Max Brooks writes the zombie survival guide and the bro bar conversation switched from who would win in a fight to what would you do in a zombie apocalypse? Uh, Where's you go? Where's you go back? Where are you going? And speak of the devil, Max Brooks appeared on Deadliest Warrior as a subject expert in a fictional being to talk zombie versus much vampire. Much like Sun Tzu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he might not, not have been historical, but... All right. Well, I think that's all we have on Deadliest Warrior. If you made it to the end of this episode, you are the Deadliest Warrior. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. <laughs> you are true Remember Shuffle Sardukar if you yeah. made it to the end of this Your episode. Your Shuffle Dukar, for sure. <laughs> Yo, that, that's awesome. Against the Thedekin? Or is that literally Saddam Hussein? That's Saddam Hussein. God yeah. damn it. Okay. I think you did a racism just... Well, no, because they're cool. That's not racist <laughs> at all. Saddam Hussein, you mean the guy who could beat Pol Pot in a fight? Yeah, as I always say, please like, subscribe, give us five stars, write us a review. We've been getting some love in the comments on the YouTube, and it makes my day, makes Jordano's day. Feel free to say something mean also. Yeah, preferably something nice, but, you know, <laughs> if you're not going to comment, something mean is preferable to no comment. <laughs> yeah, that's the hierarchy of commenting. So thanks again for listening. Bye. Bye. But yeah, Big Babylon, as the gun was called, would have been like 120 meters long. Just a regular gun that was 120 Select meters Select fire long. assault rifles that and fire, what, you know, five, five, six, a right? Measurement what could so have the, shot the thing about the AK, but just as a unit, is that, you know, though being both select fire assault rifles, well, good, you brought up an RPK. Rounds. They're very good examples. I didn't you know, even talk about uh, direct impingement. Yeah, the thing about the AR-18, as opposed to the AR-15, is that the AR-18 uses what's called the short-stroke gas piston system yeah. for the ability Whereas to the AR-15 uses called direct satellites into space system. gun style because it's potentially cheaper than using rocket fuel.